Well, good morning, everyone, and uh, welcome to Grace. Hey, let me just uh, touch on one thing that, uh, that Brad uh, talked about, and that's the 101, the 101. If you are newer to Grace and uh, you're wanting to kind of understand Grace Church and learn how to navigate it and get your feet on the ground a little bit, that's what 101 is set up for. And uh, I, I can like, guarantee you that once you go through 101, you'll, you'll feel at home, you'll feel like you know what's going on, you'll beat all the learning curves. And we'll also uh, kind of give you the ability to steer yourself through things. So I really encourage you to sign up and be a part of that here next week. You can do that on your connection card. I teach it, so uh, we get to hang out a little bit. And I uh, would love for you to, to do that, so be sure that you jump into it. Well, we're in the, uh, a new series right now called Before and After. We started it last weekend. And in this series, what we're doing is we're looking at different folks in the Bible who had one perspective of Jesus before his death and resurrection. And then they did a 180. After he rose again from the dead, uh, he interacted with them personally. And you see this complete shift happen in their life. Uh, people that thought he was crazy, people that denied he was God, didn't, people who opposed him. And then those same people interacted with the resurrected Jesus Christ. And that interaction changed everything, changed their worldview, changed their faith, their passions. And they went to their grave. Most of the, all but one that we're going to talk about was executed because they would not recant that claim that I interacted with the resurrected Jesus Christ and he is God and I will, I will literally lay my life down uh, for that belief. So we're going to look at them over the next few weeks and, and uh, dig at that. Uh, last weekend, if you weren't able to be here, we, we started the conversation just by digging at the resurrection itself and encourage you, if you want to kind of catch up on those details, go out to our website, graceohio.org. And you can uh, watch those conversations there. You can listen to it. You get a podcast for free if you want. And it'll like fill in a bunch of those blanks. And then uh, now this weekend, we want to start kind of building off of that conversation. So if we're talking about people who viewed Jesus one way and then did a 180 after they interacted with him uh, in the resurrection, uh, you have to start with Jesus's family. And so we're going to do that this weekend and uh, over the next few, we're going to look at two of his brothers, James and Jude, and we're going to look at how uh, their perspective of Jesus shifted. We're going to start with James this weekend. So James was the brother of Jesus, right? So Jesus was born of a virgin, right, Mary, uh, the Immaculate Conception, the, the miracle of the Holy Spirit uh, 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 allowing Mary to conceive. Jesus had an earthly father, Joseph, but Joseph wasn't Jesus' biological father. Mary was his biological mother, right? Then there's the, the miracle of her conception. But then Joseph and Mary went on to have other children, right? So they, they raised Jesus and loved him and helped him, but then they went on and had a family. And we don't know uh, from history exactly how many uh, siblings or half-siblings that Jesus had, but we know that he had at least two brothers and probably sisters and the like. And two of those folks was James and then Jude. Now, history tells us and oral history tells us that James was probably the second child of Joseph and Mary, or at a minimum, the second son of Joseph and Mary. So Jesus was James's big brother, okay? And that was, that was their uh, relationship. I, I was thinking about 
how weird it would grow, be to grow up with Jesus in your house this week and how you, you couldn't get away with anything. If you, you know, so like you go in, James, you go to your mom, you're like, mom, Jesus hit me. And she's like, what? Jesus hit me. And mom's like, no, he didn't. He's sinless. Go to your room, James. Right? I mean, how do you, you can't win anything, right? When you're living with a sinless God, right? Or, or you know how you'll kind of steal things from your siblings? Anybody ever do that growing up? And you'll take things. So Jesus is like, James, can I have my shirt back? What? My shirt back? I didn't take your shirt. Yeah, he did. I can read your mind, James. I'm God, right? <laughs> Give me my shirt back. I'm willing to forgive you. Give me my shirt back. Thank you. Go and send no more. Right? So it's just like that, that was his upbringing, right? So James grew up in a house with, with God. He, he grew up with parents who believed that Jesus was God, right? So Joseph and Mary didn't have any question about that. Mary especially, but Joseph also certainly professed that, claimed that, acted on that. We have that in the Bible. But James... James is just normal kid, right? He's just normal kid growing up in kind of a normal house. He's not God. He's not sinless. And so he's got all the insecurities and all the uncertainties of growing up, growing up in your big brother's shadow. I did that. I'm the baby of the family. So my, 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 I think my parents thought my big brother was God too, right? So you kind of grow up in that, that shadow. Imagine that amplified, except it's all true. <laughs> you know, your big brother's perfect. Seriously, your big brother, you know, it's like it's all true. And all of the emotion and ideas that James would have struggled with, with this reality in his parents, but not believing it himself. And we, we know this from scripture, that Jesus's family didn't, his, his siblings, at least, his mom and dad did, but his siblings didn't believe he was God, right? So a couple of places in the Bible, Mark chapter 3 Verse 21, when his family heard about Jesus' teachings, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. His family thought it was crazy. They didn't believe that. They were so close in, they didn't believe that he was God. John chapter 7, verse 5, for even his own brothers did not believe him. So here's James growing up in this scenario and he's not necessarily buying this, right? He, he sees it as close in, but Jesus, Jesus isn't God. Jesus isn't a religious figure. The church hasn't been a sat. Like, none of that is a part of James's reality. Jesus is the brother on the bottom bunk. Jesus is the, is the brother that you fight over the honeycombs with, right? He, he's not God in his mind. The name Jesus to James was not the name above all other names. You know, Jesus, most exalted one. It was just like, you know, Jesus. Like, you, I would say Dave or Susan. My sibling, it's like, eh. you know, it's just who that is. So James grew up in this scenario, not believing, not thinking. I would imagine resenting to a degree. I think I would. All the attention and all the appreciation, everything that went toward Jesus and then living in that, that shadow, we know from history that James was a Jewish religious leader. So James grew up, he, he was called James the Righteous. And so he grew up being a devout Jewish leader. He was known for his prayer life. Uh, the oral record says that he had uh, calluses on his knees because he was so devout in prayer. So here's James growing up as a devout, strong Jewish religious leader his brother 
is, in his mind, undermining the Jewish religious system, right? So the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the people that James might look up to, maybe even kind of run with, are the same types of people at a minimum that are calling for his brother's execution and, and being cast out. And that's James's scenario. And the ramifications to him would have been huge in his, in his life, right? All of the, when, when, when Jesus looks at the Pharisees and says, you're whitewashed tombs, you're, you're, your mouths are like empty graves, well, you're a brood of viper, like all this stuff, that, that's showing up in James's personal life, right? Because he's in the area, all the rest, that's affecting him directly. Well, then... As things get difficult, Jesus is arrested, tried as a Roman political prisoner, executed. That affects James in a huge way. In the ancient world, even now in the Middle East, we are, in North America, we are a very individualized society. Don't compare me to my brother. I'm not my dad. You know, we, are very, we think that way. In the Middle East, and especially in the ancient world, you, you didn't think individually. You thought in terms of clans, so what happened to one happened to your family. So when Jesus is arrested, beaten, tried, executed as a Roman political prisoner, here's James who's living under Roman occupation. That's showing up. He's probably married. He probably has his own children. His family's in danger because of his lunatic brother. That would have been his math. Additionally, they have the same mother, right? So here's James with his mother watching her son be tried, beaten, crucified, all the emotional fallout is something that James is going to be part of. Right? This is showing up in his family. If oral tradition is correct, and he is the, the, at least the, old, the second oldest brother, then in the ancient world, all the finances and responsibility went from brother to brother to brother in terms of age. So Joseph, we believe, had died before Jesus was arrested and crucified, which means Jesus took over the family carpentry business, which means when Jesus decided to go and have his ministry, guess who got stuck with it? James, the next brother. Now all of a sudden, he's providing for his mom. My brother's crucified. Now I got to take care of my mom. It's just all for something he didn't believe. His brothers didn't believe him. John, his brothers thought he was out of his mind. Mark, they didn't believe it. And it's, it's causing havoc in James's life. And you can imagine the resentment. Some of us who have dysfunctional family members, you can relate to the resentment that happens when they're causing havoc in your life and you're in total disagreement with their decisions and their lifestyles. So James watches all this. He watches his brother be tried, arrested. He watches his teachings. He's aware, he knows, he might have seen or even heard. He, he watches the crucifixion. There's every reason in the world to believe that James was in Jerusalem and would have seen or at least known of the crucifixion of his own brother. He's dealing with the fallout of Jesus' mother, their mother, and trying to care for her. And he doesn't believe it. He watched him teach, he watched him tried, he watched him die, he knew that he was buried, and then Jesus raises again from the dead. And the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7, 
that one of the very first people that, James, uh, that Jesus appeared to was his brother James, right? Once Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, the bodily resurrected Jesus, so Jesus didn't just die in spirit and raise again in spirit. His body died, and by his own power, he resurrected himself, his body from the dead. The bodily resurrected Jesus goes and interacts with his brother James, and after that interaction there that's recorded in 1 Corinthians uh, uh, chapter 15, what you see is you see the before, my brother's crazy, I don't believe it, he's a lunatic, leave me alone. And then you see an after that is one of the most dynamic shifts that you'll ever see in anybody's life. Because James went to being a denier and frustrated with his brother to calling his own brother, my Lord, Jesus Christ. Now remember, it's so funny to think of. Jesus Christ was not attached to the idea of Lord and Savior or religion or worship for James. It's just his brother. That was his name, Jesus. So when he attaches that word, he is my Lord, Jesus Christ, is a major statement on James's part. And you see this transformation. In fact, history tells us, and the Bible affirms, James goes on and he becomes, in essence, the bishop or the pastor of Jerusalem. Acts 15 talks about that how he oversaw the, the early church. Remember, everything's just beginning. There's no older Christians. There's no established church. So James is one of the apostles. He he's, has authority to speak on Jesus' behalf and tell the church kind of how to arrange themselves and what it means to follow Jesus. And then later on in Galatians uh, chapter 2, you have recorded that James's authority was on par with Paul and Peter's. So the early church, they would have thought of James, Peter, and Paul as all being the apostles, all having authority and kind of ruling. The Bible uses that word. We would call it overseeing or leading the the early church. So my brother's crazy. We don't believe him to I I am leading his charge. The church is the cause of Jesus, and that cause was James's cause. And my brother is Lord and Savior. And he believed this to such a, a depth that he gave his life for it. Uh, Oral tradition says that James was shoved off the roof of the temple, fell to the ground, it didn't kill him, but then the Jewish leaders picked up stones, it was called stoning someone. They literally would throw stones at a person until they were killed by it. Oral tradition says that the most uh, authoritative written history is by the the, uh, historian Josephus, he was a Roman historian, And he affirms for sure the second half of that, that James was stoned to death because he would not recant or or retract his belief that his brother Jesus was in fact his Lord and Savior, that Jesus was Lord. It's fascinating. The before and thereafter, it's night and day, right? Because James saw, affirmed, interacted, believed, locked into, and was defined by the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, it's fascinating that identity of his brothers becomes James's. Let me show you what I mean. Turn your Bibles to the book of James. This is written by him. These are all his words. So the book of James, if you don't have a Bible, there's something in the chairs, it's page 847 in those Bibles. And if you're electronic, we use the version app. So open that up or download it if you want. Hit live, and our zip code is 44333. 
So James chapter one, verse one, look how he, this is, he identifies himself. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So James, in essence, says, hey, guys, listen, from now on, when you think of me, think of me as a servant of God and of my Lord Jesus Christ. You mean your brother? Yep. The one executed, the one resurrected. Yeah, absolutely. I, I interacted with him, and I call him my Savior and my Lord. And James goes on, and he writes this letter, and it's fascinating in this, in this letter He's writing to other, other Jewish people. Most early Christians were Jewish converts. And he's helping them understand what it means to follow Jesus. And I believe this letter should be read in the tone of a loving pastor. That's what James was. He was a bishop. He was a pastor of a city. And so he's lovingly encouraging, challenging, sometimes correcting his congregation. But you see kind of his heart come out in it. And what he does is he says, guys, listen, if you are a servant of God and our Lord Jesus Christ, this is how all this shows up in your life. And this is kind of the evidences of it or the things that are going to happen as the power and the love of God become the defining features of your life. So just look at some of the things he says. For instance, he's like, there's life change. There's significant life change. So for instance, James says, Christ followers, their perspective shifts. They're going to view their trials differently. James chapter 1, verses 2 and following. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. James says, hey, before I was a, a, a follower of Christ, I was all about security and comfort and getting ahead, even in a religious system. I was about doing the best to, to make my mark. Now, now that I've interacted with the resurrected Jesus, my mind is clear, my heart is clear. I realize that the, the greatest thing that can happen for me in life is to become more and more like my brother, Jesus. And my brother taught me that trials is the fastest way to spiritual maturity, so whenever something difficult happens, I'm, I'm like, that's money, right? I, I, I'm counting it as joy because I want to be like Christ more than anything else in my life. And he said, if you're a servant of God or the Lord Jesus Christ, that, that's, how, that's how your perspective is. It shifts, it changes from what it used to be. Uh, he goes on, for instance, and he says, uh, our love for people is different because we're a follower of Jesus Christ. Look at verse uh, chapter 2. Verses eight and following. He says, if you really keep the, the royal law found in scripture to love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, your sin, uh, you sin and you are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. That's a big deal because James was a, a Jewish leader who was defined by Jewish law and legalism that was all about favoritism. Who's clean, who's unclean, who's acceptable, who's not acceptable. And James says, man, if you're a follower of Jesus now, servant of God and our Lord Jesus Christ, all that shifts. Well, how come? Because we're driven by love. We're driven by love. We love everybody. Doesn't matter if you're rich, poor, you know, square, round, doesn't matter. We, we love everybody. Well, how come? Doesn't matter what your ethnic background is or your religious background, we'll love you. Well, why? Because we recognize our, how we've been loved. And so the love of God flows through us, so to say. It's given to us and it comes out of us, it's given to someone else. So favoritism, the, the church 
should never be marked by favoritism. Now, we should never look at someone else and say, because you're not like this, we don't offer you. It's nonsense. James says that, that's not what the people of God do. It's not what the people of God do. See, we're changed. We're different. Uh, he, he would say this. He would say that the people of God, our actions change because of, of the love and the truth of God that, uh, that defines us now. Look at verse 18, same chapter 2 of James. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. You believe there is one God, good, even the demons believe that, and shudder. Uh, Ancient Jewish people were monotheistic. They believed that there's one God. By the way, Christians share that same belief, right? And we we believe that there's, there's only one God. And James is, in essence, saying, so you've got your theology and doctrine right. Who cares? So you know that there's only one God. It's true, but who cares? The demons know that. Who cares? You have faith. I have... Let me show you. I'll show you my faith by my knees. In other words, as my relationship with God changes me, now you know that my faith is sincere. Spiritual depth isn't information. Spiritual depth is life change. And the, the, the degree to which my life is altered by loving God and knowing his heart, that's faith, right? So that shifts, even our action shifts. James chapter three, he says, our words change. Look at verse seven. Our words change. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. James looks and says, hey, listen, we grew up in a tradition where if you didn't do X, Y, and Z, we curse you, we cut you off, we excommunicated you, you're not welcome anymore. We curse man and love God. He says, that's, that's nuts, that's nuts. If my heart is defined by Christ, Jesus is the one who said that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what my mouth says tells me the position of my heart. And then the apostle John said, that love and hate cannot coexist in the same place. I can't love God and hate my brother, can't do it. Because one, love and hate, one will always displace the other one. So if I love God, it's gonna displace my hatred for people. If I, love, if I hate people, it's gonna displace my love for God. So James says, <clears throat> it's nuts, you can't have poison and life coming from the same source. And if your heart is altered and transformed by God, then that's gonna show up in your words. You, you, can't, you can't sit in church and say, we praise you, Father, we praise you, Maker, we praise you, Jesus, and then be Captain F-bomb all week long. Doesn't make sense, because something's wrong with the heart. That won't be the outcome of someone who's been transformed by Jesus. He says, our logic is altered. Look at this, verse, uh, chapter uh, three, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them, let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. But if you harbor bitterness and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, 
than peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. James says our, our, our logic is altered. Where be, before we were followers of Jesus, we, it was every man for himself, right? Get ahead, look out for number one, do what you want, make your life happy. That made all the sense in the world. And he said, that's actually a demonic way of thinking. But those of us who are altered by Christ, we're, we're about loving God, loving our neighbor. Peace, righteousness, all these, the, the fruits of the spirit, those are the outcomes of our life. And those are the things that we value and we want for life. We're shifted. The very way that we would view the world shifts because of the resurrected Jesus. And then finally, he says in chapter four, verse four, that even our allegiances change. Verse four, you're adult, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. James is saying, <clears throat> guys, listen, you don't, you don't straddle the fence. So you don't, you don't straddle the fence. If something makes sense, the world where you, where you love these self-centered things and you live these immoral lives and you value these godless things and you crave it, you're an enemy of God. You're not a friend of God because people who've been transformed by the love of God, we're, we're, our allegiances shift. Where it's Christ above everything, even ourselves. We want that all the more. And that's indicative of someone who is confessing with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised them from the dead. Now, James writes this, and like I said, I believe this is written from the heart of a pastor, where he, he's saying to people, he, he's not wagging his finger as much as he's saying, guys, I'm, let me just look in the eye and tell you what it is, this is what being a servant of God and our Lord Jesus Christ looks like. This is how it plays out. And it's how you measure your heart and your mind and your life when you look at the things of the Lord. In fact, I believe that the whole book of James is actually rooted in chapter one. It's kind of anchored there in verse 21 and following. If you turn back there, I'll show you what I mean. Verse 21, this is, I think, kind of the the corner piece of the whole thing where he says this in verse 21, therefore get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you. Do not merely listen to the word so deceive yourselves, do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. James is sharing his heart again here, and he says this, verse 21, get rid of all moral filth and evil that's so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you that can save you. I have that phrase underlined in my Bible. Humbly accept the word planted in you that can save you. And James says, this, uh, this is the foundation of it all. Let's talk about this for a second. Why is that such a big deal? Humbly accept the word that is planted in you that can save you. I was uh, talking with a group of guys. I, by the way, uh, all men, men I have a Bible study at 7.15 on Tuesday mornings that you're all welcome to, to come to. And I hang out with a bunch of guys on Tuesday mornings. We're, we're going through the Bible. They're, they're, they're ugly, frightening, 
frightening people, especially in the morning. Uh, but they're, they're fun to hang out with. Um, but we were together last Tuesday, and somebody asked me a question. One of the guys asked me a question. They said, uh, they said hey, Jeff, how do you know like someone is sincere when, when they say, I want to be a follower of Jesus, as opposed to like, what's my ticket to heaven? You know, how do you know someone's sincere? And I said, I said, man, that's kind of a loaded question. I said, let me qualify it. Number one, God judges the heart we don't. That, that's really important to remember. But God also tells us to judge each other. It's a, it's a big lie when someone says, don't judge me. Just say, you're not being biblical, okay? <clears throat> because the Bible says that we are to look at each other's actions and we are to judge lovingly whether or not those actions line up with someone who says they love God. And we do that out of concern and love for each other, not, not to lord it over somebody's head. But if you say, I, I, I love Jesus, and then this life is going on over here, uh, as a Christian, I'm to actually raise my hand and say, uh, I don't think that goes together, right? So we're to judge each other's fruits, the Bible says. So God judges the hearts, but we are to look at each other's lives with love, motivated by love to do that. And I said, in that context, this is, this is what I've seen over the years. I've been a, a pastor almost 21 years now. And consistently what I see is this. If someone is sincere about wanting salvation from Jesus and following Jesus, the thing that shows up in their life consistently is, ready? They quit arguing with the Bible. Across the board, they quit arguing with the Bible. The conversation totally changes. And, and it shifts from someone over here saying, now, what do, tell, me the, tell me the five things I got to do to go to heaven and like not get hit by a bolt of lightning and like get my car to start in the morning. Like, what, do, what do I have to do? It shifts from that to, can you teach me how to download the love and the mind of God? Can you, can you take me beyond like the do's and the don'ts and just get me into like the, the heartbeat and the passion? Because I want to love and follow Jesus. I don't know how to do it. And the conversation shifts from, tell me how to get God off my back, and it moves over to, tell me how to weave God into every aspect of my life. They quit arguing with the Bible. Right? And so the, the low-hanging fruit, right, your, your, your speech, your life, your giving, your love, is it, like, ah, oh, God, I got it, got it, got it, give me more, give me more, give me more, give me more. What this is, it's what James just said is humbly accepting the word of God planted in you. I want to know God's heart, and I want to know God's mind, and I, I want to weave that into my life. I'm longing for it. I'm embracing it. I'm not arguing. I'm not rationalizing why that doesn't apply to me. I'm longing to make that a part of who I am and what I am. That's fascinating. James is talking to people who are caught up in religious tradition and he's saying to them, listen, this moral filth, this evil is so prevalent, low-hanging fruit. Get that out of your life. Come on, you, you, can, you can like knock it off, right? But th- if you want relationship with God, and you humbly accept the word of God planted in you, when you start receiving the truth and the love and, and the heart of God into your life, it, it will transform you in amazing ways. And 
these are the ways I just, you'll talk different, you'll think different, you'll logic different, you'll, see, it all shows up. Then he goes on, look what else he says. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself, do what it says. Now, why would James say that? Why would he say, why is that such a, so much on his heart and his mind? Because he was a religious leader who knew the Bible, but didn't know God. He deceived himself. He might say it this way, guys, I, I went to church every week. I prayed, you know, five times a day. I gave my tithe at the temple. I, 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 I didn't smoke, drink, chew, date girls who do. Even back in the ancient world, I was an Ohio State fan. I did everything that I, that I needed to do, right? And I deceived myself. I deceived myself because in all of this right living, I, I didn't love Christ. It didn't, there was no transformation in my life. No, nothing was different besides I, I knew some different steps to take and instead of playing golf on a beautiful Sunday morning, I showed up at church. And so he, he said, now this is the heart of a pastor, he's saying, don't, don't do what I did. Don't deceive yourself. And then he says something fascinating here. Look at it, verse 22. He says, don't merely listen to the word, so deceive yourself. Do what it says, verse 23. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. It's very, very fascinating. So he uses this picture, right? I, I look at the word. The word acts as a mirror to me, okay? And someone who ignores, no, looks at the word and ignores it, is like someone who looks at his reflection and then walks away and forgets what he looks like. Now, just think about this for a second. Why do we look in a mirror? What's the first thing you do in the morning, right? You get up. You look in the mirror, right? I do it too. I look in the mirror. And I, when I look in the mirror, I think to myself, good job, God. <laughs> Seriously, fantastic. High five right here, right? Everybody out in the cafe looking at me in high definition, you agree. Amen? Hallelujah. So, right? So, I, I look in the mirror and I get, I get the reflection. Why do we look in the mirror? We're going to look in the mirror. And when we stay in the mirror until the reflection matches the expectation, when the reflection matches the expectation, we're done in the mirror. So I look in the mirror, and I'm going to look in, and I'm going to think, man, I need to shave. I look in the mirror, and I'm going to think, how did a hair grow out of my ear overnight, right? Middle-aged man problem, right? So we're like, how did I, and I look in the mirror and say, I got bedhead, I got to do my hair. Or ladies, you might look in the mirror and say, oh, I got to do my makeup, you know, whatever. Once, once the reflection matches the expectation, we would say, well, I'm done, in, I'm done in the mirror. The mirror has aligned me properly. So James uses this with God's word. And he says, I, I look at God, I look at God's word, and I see the heart of God. And I see the mind of God. And I look at that, I don't get a to-do list, and I don't get condemnation, because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. What I see is the heart and the mind of God and what I want to do is I want to get the reflection to match the expectation. Oh, that, that's what God means by being a generous person. Okay, I, I'm going I'm to adjust that in my life. Oh, when the Bible says that as a husband, if I don't interact gently with my wife, God won't hear my prayers anymore. The Bible says it. That, that's why, because he loves my wife so much. Okay, so I need to adjust that. 
Oh, when the Bible says I shouldn't be Captain F-bomb, oh, now I see why, because it's, I'm not representing the heart of God. So I look in the mirror of God's word, not to be judged, not to be condemned, not to get a to-do list, but to align with the heart and the mind of God. Now, here's where this gets really crazy for James. I, I, I kept wondering why he grabbed that picture. Because I think it's this, when James woke up every day, see, he woke up to God, right? His brother, like, he, like he, his, God was on the bottom bunk, <laughs> right? When he sat down to eat his honeycombs in the morning, he's looking at God in the face, right? And he had rejected it the whole time. So, so when, when Mary was like, James, you should be more like your brother. Well, you think everybody on the planet should be like my brother? Yes, actually, I do. You know, it's like, it, can you imagine? Literally. So the whole, the whole time, he's looking at truth. He's looking at a perfect definition. He literally grows up with it. And instead of allowing the reflection to adjust the expectation, Ready? He resents the reflection. Resent it. Jesus, good night, man. Good. Good Lord. Yes? Yeah, I, it's, <laughs> can, you, can you imagine it? It would drive you crazy, right? And so he, he's, you're a little, he resents it. I don't want this. He hardens his heart. He walks away from it dives into legalism and tradition and assumes he's right with God. And I believe you have the heart of a pastor here who's looking at people who do this all the time and he's saying, don't be like me. Oh my, don't be like me. I lived. I lived with love. I lived with compassion. I lived with truth. I lived with holiness. And I resented it. And I'd walk away every day, not just forgetting what it looked like, but trying to push it out of my life. And it took my brother showing up after I watched him be executed for all of this to make sense to me. Don't, don't harden your heart like I did. Don't deceive yourself. Look into the word of God. And align your heart and your mind with it. And what happens, look what he says here in verse 25. For whoever looks intently to the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they'll be blessed. You're robbing yourselves. I rob myself. And I, I thank my Lord, my brother, for, for graciously, lovingly, Saving, changing, and clarifying for me. Big deal. Now, I think the way this lands is two, two ways. First of all, I think it lands for, for those of us who are not yet followers of Jesus. When we look at James's story and we look at his words, I think what this does is it serves for us who are not yet followers of Jesus as an invitation an invitation. And I think, I think James might say it like this. As a loving pastor, he, he might look at you and he might say, hey, hey man, 
Do you want to change? Do you want to change? Now, some of us might say, like, no, and most anybody who says that is probably lying. Because you're probably geared to change if you come inside on a beautiful day to hear from God. Do you want to change? I want to change. You know? And I think James would look and say, do you, do you want to change? Do you want to be different than you are now? Do you, do you, do you look at your life and think, man, why do, I, why do I say those stupid things? I just went off on my girlfriend. I just went off on my kids. I just went off on my wife. And I, I just, I lose it. Like I black out almost. I say all these things and I regret it. James might say, you want, you want to stop doing that? No, no human being can tame the tongue. But God can change your heart and your words will be different. I'm, I'm so selfish, right? You ever go out with that couple and they're like happy and encouraging and they're quoting scripture to each other and they're trying to serve each other and get in the car with like your spouse and you're like, why are you an idiot? Like how did I, you know, it's like, and, and you, you, want that, you want that marriage and you ever think to yourself, how did they get that? I bet, I'll bet you sushi that if you dig into their life, that couple has gone through something painful, counted it as joy, and came out mature and complete because of it. I bet you sushi. You want to change? Do you want your talk to match your walk? You ever get sick of your kids rolling their eyes at you or your friends rolling their eyes at you? Because you always got a sermon, but you're that, that person, right? I don't know. That's, it's, it's unbelievably important to me that my wife, Heidi, and my kids never roll their eyes when I'm up here talking to you. I cannot tell you how important that is to me. Well, I can't, I can't pull that off. Because I'm an idiot. But if my family can look at me and say, my dad is an idiot, but he's legit. You ever want to change? James says, listen, haven't you pretty much tried your best? Haven't you made those resolutions a thousand times? Haven't you looked at people you love enough and said, I'll never do that again? Would you like the power of God in your life? Would you like the outcomes of your life to be things that only God can produce in you? Would would you like to move past immaturity and live in real wisdom that makes real impact and has real long-lasting value? God can change your mind. He can change your heart. The power of the resurrection can come to bear for those who are servants of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to change? And James just described, and there's more, all these changes that happen 
So I think for those of us who aren't followers of Jesus yet, that's what this is. It's an invitation. And for those of us who are Christians, what this is, ready? It's a reflection. It's a reflection. I'm looking into the perfect law, and I'm having reflected back to me the expectation. Not as judgment, because there's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. God's not out to get you. He's your friend. See? It's not a to-do list. It's me looking and saying, I want, I'm not arguing with the Bible. I want to humbly accept the word of God planted in me. I want to be in line with God. How? James says, well, look into the mirror. And God will show you. And now, now you can know. You can, you can pop that zit and pull that hair and put a little product in. And, and by the power of God in you, you can actually line your life up with the heart and the mind of God. Now, he, he has to empower. You don't do that by your own power. It's not a to-do list. It's the transforming power of God. Where you can long for and love the things that God longs for and love. And as you receive the love of God and the power of God and the mercy of God and the truth of God in your life, you, you can keep looking at that reflection. And because of the power of the Holy Spirit in you, the reflection can actually match the expectation. So that when people look at your life, they think of God things, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So if we're not a follower of Jesus, it's an invitation. You want to change? You can on my own? Nope. But God can change you. Totally, radically, completely change you. And for those of us who've embraced that already, it's a reflection. What, what does God want? Well, look into the mirror. He'll show you. He'll show you. Don't be deceived, right? But look into the mirror, embrace the reflection, align the expectations, and then you'll live in freedom. And that's James. James, who are you, James? You know who I am? Tell us. I'm a servant of God and of my Lord, Jesus Christ. Your brother? No, my Lord. You mean your brother? Yeah. I, I know what you're saying. My Savior. You believe that? Yep. In fact, I'll go to my, I'll go to my death for it because I interacted with the resurrected Jesus Christ. Ask the band to come out. And as they do, guys, here's the resurrection math. Ready? If Jesus rose from the dead, then he is God. If he is God, his love is true. If his love is true, his teachings are right and good. And if his teachings are right and good, then he has defined for us not only the path to heaven, but a way to live that pleases him and benefits us. There's two questions. Number one, have you ever accepted the invitation from God? Has there ever been a point in your life that you remember that you can say, I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead? And I, I asked, my parents didn't do it for me, the church didn't do it for me, I asked, Jesus, will you forgive me? Will you change me? 
And because you gave your life to me, I want to give my life to you. I want to do that. Guys, if you've never done that, I encourage you to do it right now. No magic words, no secret prayer. Tell God from your heart what you're asking and desiring. He knows what you mean. Tell him. He understands. And give your life over to him. Receive salvation, the forgiveness of sin, and the direction and the hope and the change that you long for. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, let me ask you this. Is being like Christ an ever-increasing passion in your life? Where you, you can't wait to get in front of the mirror because you can't wait to sync up with God more? Or is, or, or is there argument points? Really, are we still arguing? We're, we're still arguing about purity? We're still arguing about morality. We're still arguing about giving. We're still arguing about... Why? I don't understand. Is pursuing Christ an ever-increasing passion in your life? And if not, why not? I really would encourage you to find the answer to that question. Because James would say, well, this is just, this is the way it works. It's awesome. Okay. So think about it. Pray about it. I encourage you to be still for a few minutes. Everyone out in the cafe, I encourage you just to be still for a few minutes. Listen to the words of these songs. Use them as prayers. And give God that license and freedom to, uh, to help you make the shift from before to after.